Oh, what a mess this hydro thing is. Uh, Richard Cluche is, uh, thank you very much, TFJ. <laughs> Richard Cluche is going to join us at about 2.15 on this show. And then, of course, he'll have a lot more coming up on his show, The News, with Julie Buckingham, starting at 4 o'clock here on CJOB. I think I may play uh, back for you a bit of an interview that uh, Jeff Courier did on his show today with Graham Lane. Graham Lane was uh, the former or is the former chair of the PUB and certainly has some insight into this uh, mess at Hydro. And I may play that for you, but Richard Cluccio will join us at about 2.15. And then, like I said, a lot more on his show after 4 o'clock. Also, coming up on the show here today, a Thursday show. As I adjust the microphone. <laughs> you wondering what's that? It's not, it's not me getting up out of the chair. Although I do have a knee that sounds very close to that. Um, it's Thursday, so we're getting closer to the weekend, as Jeff Forche, the producer of this show, pointed out to me, and that's uh, good news. Coming up here in about 10 minutes, we're going to talk to a driving instructor. The province has announced the very first highway roundabout in the province. Now, I tried to get Brian Barkley on this because Brian and I, back in the day, we had some pretty funny conversations about roundabouts. Nobody, do you know how to work a roundabout, Jeff Forche, when you're out there driving and you see a roundabout? Do you go, no problem, I know exactly what I'm doing? Well, there's one that's by my place and I find it very easy. I find that nobody signals out, Yeah, but I find it very easy. I have never used a, what is it, a two-lane roundabout? Mm. I've never used one of those, but the yeah. one lanes are very easy. Well, and this one on the highway is going to be different too, and we'll talk about it uh, coming up I'm here. I'm curious, yeah. yeah. So we'll see what this uh, driving instructor has to say about the roundabout, but I know if I see one coming. I can get through it, and I think I, I think I know what I'm doing, but I do get a bit nervous. If I see one coming, I go, hmm, is there another option? Is there another way to get around this? And uh, I don't know. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on the roundabout. 204-780-6868, hal at cjob.com. Mike Major will join us, president of CAA Manitoba, on their worst roads campaign. Mike will join us right after Global News at 1.30 with Tristan Field-Jones. Bob Irving is, of course, uh, a very, very important part of Mark CFL Week for us here at CJOB. And Bob is going to be talking with Jamal Westerman for me, and we'll have that interview for you coming up at 1.45, about quarter to two. Tough trivia right off the news at 2 o'clock. Your chance to win Winnipeg Golf Expo tickets, Red River Exhibition Park, April 6th and 7th, and... We're going to toss in some Santa Lucia pizza as well. A GC, as they say. A gift certificate for Santa Lucia pizza and tickets for the Winnipeg Golf Expo. So that's right off the news at 2 in about an hour from right now. I got a new Muchos Kilos song for you as well. I don't need my bracket. And uh, I don't know if you've got a bracket in uh, March Madness, college basketball, but there have been some big upsets, and so a lot of people are basically just Rolling it away. I don't need my bracket. Muchos kilos. Me, Shaner, and Timmy, my band of big guys, coming up uh, between 2 and 2.30. We've also got to get Richard Cluche on at that point as well as this hydro situation continues to develop. Carolyn Klassen. We missed her last week. She was uh, off watching, uh, uh, was it volleyball? I think she had a kid in volleyball or something, but she was away 
last Thursday. She is back, Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling between 2.30 and 3. And then at 3 o'clock, I've got some cool stuff uh, for the inter- from the internet that I want to talk to you about. What color are tennis balls? Oh, you think you know. But do you really know what color tennis balls are? And a world-class clapper. This kid can clap his hands a crazy amount of times in one minute. In fact, he has set the new world record. So some stuff from the internet after 3 o'clock. Bob Irving, Doug Brown from Mark CFL Week over at the RBC Convention Center. They'll join us uh, live between 3 and 4, and then they'll continue to broadcast during the news after 4 o'clock here on CJOB with Rich and Julie. So as you can see, we have lots to get to. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk about this highway roundabout, and a driving instructor will weigh in on the roundabout. What does he think of these roundabouts? Good idea? Bad idea? How do we maneuver our way through these roundabouts? All that coming up after a break. It's Hal on CJOB. Hal Anderson on 680 CJOB. All righty, 114. The first ever highway roundabout is coming to Manitoba. Global News reporter Diana Foxhall breaks down the new design for us, and then we'll talk about it. The intersection of Highway 2 and Highway 3, just outside the perimeter, is tricky at the best of times. Brad Erb, the Reeve for McDonald, says there are plenty of collisions at the junction. The intersection is not at a right angle there, so there are, there are many blind spots. There's high traffic volume going down Highway 3, which makes a stacking issue on Highway 2. And when you get that, you get people making poor decisions based on the, the wait time. The province announced today it will be putting in a roundabout later this year. A traffic circle is cheaper than installing lights, and it's expected to calm traffic as well. Infrastructure Minister Ron Schuler cited research indicating roundabouts reduce fatal collisions by almost 90%. The intersection sees about 10,000 cars each day. Minister Schuler says the province will be accepting proposals in the coming months and hopes to finish the project by the fall, weather permitting. Diana Foxall, Global News. Thank you, Diana. And certainly something had to be done at Highways 2 and 3. I'm not saying the roundabout uh, won't accomplish uh, everything they want it to accomplish, and Diana kind of listed off the reasons this is a good idea. But I think when people hear roundabout or calming circle or trying to think what other names there are for it, I think drivers, or at least some drivers, I won't say a lot of drivers because they've been around for a while, but I think some drivers go, oh, boy, how do I deal with this thing? Rick Greifenhagen is a driving instructor in Winnipeg, and he joins us on the phone now. Hi, Rick. Hello. How are you? Great. Thank you for doing this. So um, roundabout, just as a driving instructor, somebody who is teaching people to drive every day, you like the idea of the roundabout? I love the idea of the roundabouts. Uh, I don't really like the idea of the calming circles too much, but the roundabouts are great. Okay, whoa. What's the difference? Well, uh, the uh, roundabouts are a little bit bigger. The calming circles are meant to slow down the traffic, but they, they work a little bit different than the regular roundabout. Uh, the regular roundabout, the one they're putting on the highway, everyone has a yield sign, so you're going to have to slow before, and you're always going to enter to the right of the island, uh, but you do have to yield to traffic coming from your left and any pedestrians that are going to be crossing. Okay, and so a roundabout, if we're coming up to a roundabout, how does that work? 
that that was the roundabout. Okay, that was the roundabout. Uh, See, I'm, con- yeah, I'm, I'm confused already. Uh, I'm confused already, yeah. Rick. <laughs> the calming circle, you're going to approach it the same way, other than if you are turning left, you're going to have to signal left before. Uh, and if you're turning right, you're going to have to signal right. But at a, reg- at a regular roundabout, you always enter to the right of the circle, so you don't have to signal when you move in. But, but you, you do, do have to signal, signal when you, when you go leave. Out. Yeah, yes, and, and you do need to signal right, and you need to yield to pedestrians on the way in and also on the way out. Yeah, we were just talking about that. Uh, Jeff Orchi, my producer here, was just saying that that's what frustrates him is when people are leaving, they don't signal to leave, which is something no, and, you really have to do. For sure, and it's not not really that much for the person behind you. It's for the people coming into the circle. If they see you're leaving, they're a lot more confident going in because mm. you've told them that you're leaving. Yeah, yeah. And we've had calming circles and roundabouts in Winnipeg now uh, for a while. When you're teaching drivers, uh, do they have that same nervousness about a calming circle and a roundabout that I'm expressing to you here on the air when you're teaching new drivers? Yeah, I find a lot of them do. Uh, you know, once they know the rules and, and know how to do it, yeah. And the thing we have to be careful, too, is because they're not that old in Winnipeg, uh, you know, people still think a lot of times when they're going straight through like a calming circle that they have right away, and they don't. Whoever's turning inside there already has right away. And the thing that's different about calming circles is they're first come, first serve. Whoever's there first goes first. And if you're there at the same time, the person on the right goes, just like a, a stop sign, a four-way gotcha. stop sign. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. What are some other uh, issues out there that uh, new drivers have a problem with? Calming circles, roundabouts, because they're a little different, sort of new. What, what other, what other uh, issues do you deal with on a daily basis teaching somebody to drive? Um, one of the issues uh, to deal with a lot is that drivers a lot of times don't get back to the right of center before they make a turn, mm. uh, especially like on a side street. They'll they'll stay in the in the left lane and make their turn when they should get back to right of center before they make their turn because that's a dangerous spot to be on the left side, especially if you do have to stop, then you're stopped in an unsafe spot. Mm-hmm. So you get a lot of people that don't get back to the right of center. Yeah, uh, you know that's a big issue there. You know, there's uh, there's a million things Rick we could talk about. Like I, I've gotten several text messages and emails from people recently saying, "Why don't Winnipeg drivers use their signal lights?" And it does seem to be kind of a Winnipeg thing, eh? Yeah. Well, I teach here all day. I could write a book about some of the stuff <laughs> I, I bet see. You could. That's for sure. But yeah. Uh, yeah, they don't. You know, and I ride motorcycle. And I try to stay out of people's blind spots because they don't use their signals. They don't warn me they're going and they don't do their shoulder. Shoulder checks are another big thing, too, mm. especially a right right shoulder check. Your blind spot's a lot bigger. People just don't do shoulder checks. And if you look in your rearview mirror, you won't see someone in your blind spot. Yeah. Absolutely won't. So right. you know, that's that's another big thing about doing that shoulder check before they actually move over. Sure. Hey, uh, Rick, I've got somebody on the line. Maybe it's a question. Do you mind hanging on? And, and I'll take yeah, Steve's nope, call here. Yeah. We'll we'll see sure. if uh, it's something maybe you can help us with here. Oh, and then Steve hung up. Steve, Uh-oh. what are you doing to me? Come on, Steve. <laughs> uh, if you do have a question for Rick, though, by all means, give us a call. 204-780-6868. Uh, anything else, Rick, before I let you go? I, I'm just curious. You know, every day you were out there doing this in Winnipeg, and whether it's real or perceived, Winnipeg has a reputation of having terrible drivers. Do you think uh, that? Have you driven in other cities? 
Um, I haven't driven that much in other cities, a little bit. I've driven here mostly, but there are there are a lot of not very good drivers out there. And, and a lot of them, you know, have been maybe not trained enough. I would really love to see testing come in every 10 years. Mm. You know, just for people to to uh, get refreshed on the rules. It's just a refreshing. We all get bad habits over the years. You know, we start rolling through stop signs, things like that. And it happens. But, you know, uh, we really, really need to watch out and get refreshed on that stuff because it can cause accidents. And, uh, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Any thoughts on the distracted driving? We've been talking a lot about that over the past several days. Uh, I'm very happy about that. Um, to me, the fines can't be big enough. Um, like I said, like I said, again, I drive motorcycle and, you know, we can hide in the blind spots a lot easier because we're narrower and bicycles too. And they don't do that, you know, and you're distracted in that and you get hit. No, uh, no, uh, no texting, no, no on the phone, even eating sometimes, you know, depending what you're eating, you know, it can be very bad. And it takes just a split second of, uh, concentration gone and that's all it takes and you hit somebody or hit another car, hit a pedestrian. No. Uh, again, just today, I was uh, stopped with a student on the right, in the right lane at a, at a crosswalk because someone was waiting to cross, and the truck beside us just flew right through. And that's how that, that's how that little boy got killed. Yeah, uh, yeah. On uh, St. Anne's, right? Right. So, yeah, they're not watching. They're mm. distracted. Yeah, it's too many things to distract you, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Hey, Rick, Steve is back on the line, so let's get Steve on here. Steve, what did you want to say? Uh, Well, that was a a lot of information about a lot of bad driving there in a heartbeat. But uh, just going through this uh, new idea about the roundabout on the the, uh, perimeter at Highway 2 and 3. Yeah. The province cannot keep thinking that they can move traffic on a ground level. That's a highway. Now you're going to create a roundabout. You're person you were just talking to, the instructor, alluded to the fact that it's going to take people time to realize how to use these. Do you need to do something on a highway that people are going to be confused? They, yeah. Well, I don't... I, I, enough area. Yeah. I, I drive there all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, listen, and, Steve, I've, I've got other calls, but you kind of made your point. I, I hear what you're saying. I, I think I, I get what Steve's saying, Rick. Uh, I think at one point uh, an overpass was proposed there, but obviously we're not spending the money that we have been spending in the past here in the province of Manitoba, and I think that's why they're going with a roundabout here. I guess maybe I made roundabouts sound like they're terribly confusing, and and once you understand them, they aren't that difficult, right? Rick? No, no, I, no. I I love them. Like I, they're really easy once you understand how they work, and if everyone uses them properly, it would work great. I'm just waiting to for them to put one at Confusion Corner. That would be awesome. You think so, eh? Oh, yeah. I think it would work great there. Yeah, that's not... Yeah, you know what? If you think about it, that probably would work pretty well. Because, well, like, in in Europe and places like that, they got huge traffic circles, and they're multi-laned, right? But, yeah. you, you know, so we have only the one-lane ones, really, right. in the city, right? So they're a little bit, you know, but uh, they, they work great. You mm-hmm. know, they make... They keep traffic flowing a lot smoother. Hey, I got some more calls here. Kelly's on the line. Okay. Hi, Kelly. Hey, um... Uh, I guess I would have a question for your instructor. Sure. They got a roundabout on Moray and Sturgeon. Okay. There's rush hour traffic coming. You got tons of traffic coming. Let's say I'm going westbound down Moray. 
Okay. You got a lineup of 20 cars coming down, heading northbound, uh, down Sturgeon. So I'm sitting there, and everyone's using that as a one-way. So I'm watching 20 cars go by. And around about, do you not take turns? Yes, well, uh, no, in a, no, not in a roundabout. You have a yield sign, so you need to yield to traffic coming from your left. So it's like turning right at a, at a street where you're turning where there's a yield sign. You have to wait till it's safe traffic-wise. Um, gotcha. So you have to you have to wait for it. Yeah, it's not it's not everybody goes one 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 one. No, yeah. you have to wait till it's safe. All right, Kelly, thank you. Dave is on the line. We'll try and squeeze Dave and Greg. I'm going to try and get you in here before the news. Go ahead, Dave. Hey, Hal. Great show. Thank you, bud. Um, you, you know, if you get a roundabout, I, I'm a class one driver, but you know, if you get on a roundabout on a real busy street, there's one at Panet and McLeod, and uh, there's Palliser Furniture there, there's a superstore and everything else, and if you want to get on that thing, forget it. You're stuck, at least at a stop sign. I, I, I like the roundabouts, but at least at a stop sign, you eventually get your turn. Okay, Dave, what do you think of that, Rick? Do you think Dave's got something there? Uh, it can be sometimes like that, but, uh, yeah, especially if you've got bigger vehicle and something like that to try. And then hopefully someone maybe will slow and fla- flash their lights at you, letting you in or, or right. waving you in. That, that would be fine. Mm-hmm. But uh, to me, they work much better than a four-way stop because sometimes at rush hour, you got a lineup of 10 cars coming four different ways at you, right? And then yeah. everyone has to stop and start. Okay. Uh, one one more here, Greg. I'm going to squeeze you in. I'm going to go over time a bit. Go ahead, Greg. Make your point quickly. Hey, Al. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to point out uh, I'm driving uh, northbound on Pamina Highway. Uh, you know, this distracted driving has been a pet peeve for many years. I look to the left of me, and there's a young woman, maybe mid-20s, uh, sitting there. She's got both hands on the wheel in the center at the bottom of the wheel, and the iPhone is right in between her hands. Uh, you know, she's more time looking down than looking up. Well, yeah. I just gave her the horn and, you know, shook my fist, and uh, I, I'm glad to see they're, they're finally getting some laws that are coming yeah. in. but. Uh, uh, this has got to stop. Yeah. It's just ridiculousness. Th- thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. I'm right up against the news. Hey, Rick, this was fun. We'll do it again sometime, okay? Okay. Yep, you you bet. Excellent. Thank you. Global right. News at 1.30 is coming right up on CJOB. It's four degrees at 680 CJOB, and now back to Hal Anderson. Thank you very much, TFJ. It is 1.33, and you know spring is here. The CAA is launching its annual Worst Roads campaign. And president of CAA, Mike Major, joins us on the phone now. Hi, Mike. Hi, Hal. It really has kind of become uh, a sign of spring around here. Well, yes, it has. It's, it's, uh, I, want, I don't want to say it's unfortunate, but I guess I can take the view that uh, we are seeing improvements in our roads. Uh, but there are so many that need to be addressed. Yeah, this uh, campaign, though, has certainly got the politicians paying attention in the past, and I think we've seen improvements on really bad roads uh, before uh, those improvements would have happened had it not been for your campaign. Uh, Yeah, certainly I agree with that. I think we've had many roads that were of concern that have been addressed uh, or are being addressed or on the table to be addressed. Uh, And it's great to see even this morning, you see Minister Schuller announced uh, a roadway uh, which was not on our list, uh, but really good to see that the government, the cities and municipalities are are focusing on what's needed, something that impacts people every day, whether it's safety, congestion, 
uh, or just simply moving about in, in a comfortable way. You know, uh, and uh, the timing of your uh, campaign is interesting, too, in the sense that the potholes are starting to appear, right? And so the roads really right now, uh, you can't help but go, this road is terrible. If it's in rough shape, there's no hiding that fact. That's correct. I mean, it's really difficult on the vehicles. It creates damage. It creates uh, dangerous situations where people swerve uh, to avoid potholes. And uh, and certainly, I know the city's out and about fixing them now. Uh, it's something we have to work at fixing uh, at the base route versus just repairing. Uh, so certainly, they're doing a good job trying to get to it. Uh, but this is the time of year for potholes. Manitoba is unique in that we have, uh, uh, you know, a lot of freeze thaw cycles that occur with, uh, and that creates the potholes. Uh, so it's important we get to them. Uh, but again, it's more than just the potholes. I mean, we've got congestion, we've got safety issues. That's what the campaign's about, not to, you know, and have individuals uh, identify the roads that are of concern to them. And again, not just the potholes, which is the obvious thing at this point in time. Um, the other thing we've done this year is we've in- introduced the, the concept of pedestrians and cyclists and I invited them to partake in, in the survey. Uh, so whether it's, you know, you're on, on a cycling on a road, and it's great to see that a lot of the initiatives the uh, various municipalities and cities and governments have put together uh, are including cycling capabilities and including walkways. And so that's really nice to see progress. It's, it's a broader issue of just driving. Uh, it's mobility in our city and getting around commuting. And we want to make it as comfortable and as efficient and effective as possible. So you're asking then uh, pedestrians, walkers, and cyclists to get involved in the campaign as well and, and vote, eh? Yes, correct. You can sign up to our, our website, which is uh, cmanitoba.com forward slash worst, worst roads, uh, or go onto our CA app on your iPhone or whatever device you use. Um, and there is an ability to identify as being a pedestrian, a cyclist, or a driver. So this morning we had uh, Bike Winnipeg out uh, making comments as well as the individual uh, leading the Manitoba Association of Senior Centers. So again, you know, wherever we can, wherever there's mobility going on, we're saying let's, let's get out and address this. It's important. What are the big complaints? Is it potholes? Uh, is it, uh, you know, uh, crumbling uh, curbs? What are some of the big complaints? What, what makes a road a bad road, a worst road? Um, certainly potholes is, is, is one of the top ones. It's, it's the most prevalent, and it's the one that has the most impact on us directly. Uh, we hear a lot about congestion, and, and I have to applaud the city in terms of introducing the Traffic Management Center. Uh, it's made a big improvement. So years past, we had synchronization issues where you'd literally drive a block, stop, and you drive another block and stop. So you're wasting gas, you're impacting the environment. Uh, but they have synchronized the lights, and it's gotten much better. It's still learning and developing as it goes, but it's much, much better. And, and very, you know, it's, it's alleviated a lot of frustrating for individu- frustration for individuals. Uh, where they don't have to do that stop-start, stop-start as they, as they progress down the roadways. So it's congestion. Um, Safety is a big issue as well. You've got intersections that have, you know, a uh, high risk. You know, this one just across the street from our offices here on Empress and Ellis, uh, very high risk. You know, it's not probably once a month I see an accident there where somebody's, you know, uh, rushing. They've made a lot of changes there, but it still needs to be addressed. You know, we'll make the world safe. And that's just one example. There's many. So there's all kinds of issues, just generally poor roads and, you know, where it's just rough and and, 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 uh, and uneven and, and so forth. So there's a variety of issues that are impacting. So the biggest ones would be, of course, potholes and then congestion um, and safety. It comes up quite a bit. How many years have you been, do- have you been doing this now, Mike? This is our seventh year. Seventh this year. Seventh year now. And yeah. seven years ago or, or whenever you came up with this idea, why was it so important for CAA to do this? I mean, it sort of makes sense, right, you guys, and roads, but, I mean, it's a, it's a cause you didn't really have to take up. Why was it important for you to take it up? 
Well, we're listening to our members. We have 208,000 members in Manitoba, so that's more than uh, a third of the households, and uh, and they have concerns. So we said, here, how can we get, you know, a way to bring out, uh, bring attention to this matter, and, and emphasize how important it is, and, and so let's, you know, provide a forum where we can, you know, get people the, the opportunity to express their frustrations, um, and also uh, set up a forum where, and, and this isn't a, a negative approach to things. This is helping the governments and the municipalities and cities to understand where the people are most concerned. They have their planning cycles they do a lot of work in their engineering studies too to determine which roads to go at but this is just one more piece to say hey you know what this is a road that needs attention um, and we certainly have seen attention over the years we had victoria avenue in brandon um, was completely redone it was a very bad road and it was a top road about four or five years ago and uh, it was replaced uh, we've had uh, st james street was a top contender uh, for the worst road it has been all redone so i mean we, we see we've seen progress it's really nice to see yeah, based on the six years before this, and now you're into year seven, about how many people do you expect to vote by April 18th? Well, I'd love to see very few, because uh, the reality is that might be an indication that uh, things are getting better. But uh, certainly, you know, whatever the number is, you know, uh, last year we had close to 8,000 votes, which is really significant. And on a per capita basis, we do this across the country with all of these CA clubs across uh, Canada, and we have the highest per capita response to this program in terms of our, our population base, the highest response. So, I mean, that's either we've got people that are passionate, which I believe, and, and or we have roads that are really in, in dire need. Um, so it's a combination of both. But, I mean, to me, it's a, we expect a good number. We're probably going to get close to that six, 8,000 uh, votes, uh, and it'll focus down on a number of key roads. And, and you know, and some of those roads, you know, may already be uh, scheduled for repairs. I know, for example, Empress Street was one that came up many times in years past. It is now scheduled by the city for repair. It's going to be starting into this year, this fall. Uh, they're going to be start, or sorry, this summer they're going to be starting the process to to redo Empress Street. Well, Mike, thanks for your time. And again, people can go and vote at caamanitoba.com slash worst roads. caamanitoba.com slash worst roads. Mike, thanks a lot. And we'll talk to you uh, after April 18th when you've got some results for us. You bet. Thanks very much, Alf. Mike Major, president of CAA Manitoba there. Worst Roads Campaign, their annual Worst Roads Campaign underway. It goes until April 18th. And again, you can go and vote at caamanitoba.com slash worst roads. And for the heck of it, let's put it out there. Worst Roads. Let's uh, let's hear what you think. Worst Roads right now. Let me know what the worst roads are out there. 204-780-6868. Hal at CJOB. Com. We're going to uh, take a quick break here. We're going to come back. We'll talk a little bit about that roundabout. I've got some text messages and somebody waiting on the phone. And we're also going to have for you an interview that Bob Irving has done for us for Mark CFL Week. All that on the way. It's Hal Anderson on 680 CJOB. Hal Anderson. Well, at 146, of course, Mark CFL Week underway in Winnipeg at Kind of uh, unofficially, I guess, got going last night with the Hall of Fame gal- gala, and I'm going to actually talk more about that a little later on. Uh, several players in town, I think 50-ish, something like that, here in Winnipeg as part of the Mark CFL Week celebrations. And, of course, part of the gig with the players is they're meeting with members of the media, the uh, boys this morning. Mackley and McGarry had a couple of quarterbacks on. If I have time, I'm going to play a couple minutes from that interview, that was kind of a fun interview this morning with Mackling and McGarry. And, of course, 
you can't have CFL week without Bob Irving, right? CGOB's Bob Irving. He had a chance to sit down just a while ago with Jamal Westerman, who signed what's been reported as a very lucrative contract with Montreal in free agency after spending the last three seasons with the Blue Bombers. Here is Bob and Jamal. Let me start with why you're no longer a Blue Bomber. Um, you know, through the free agency process, you know, as it goes on, you just, you know, you kind of think of different things, and it was definitely a, a difficult process because, you know, you, you sit back and you think the average career is three years, and I was here three years, three great years. I mean, I made a tremendous amount of friends, and, you know, I'm definitely going to miss the people, you know, that, and that's the hard part about the game because, you know, the professional side is one thing, but there is a personal side that goes into it, and, and that's always something that, you know, I hold very dearly. You know, I, I think when you're free agent or when you're not with the team like I was three years ago, coming to the Bombers, you know, you make a professional decision. But when you're there and you're part of the team, and, and for me, it's always been per, all personal. You know, I've always opened up and tried to make friends with everybody. I tried to, you know, be a just personal guy and kind of enjoy that process of being on a team, being in a new city. And I definitely enjoyed it, you know, enjoyed it here. But, you know, things, things change and, you know, through the free agency process, you see some things that you that you like and you, you hear, and then some things, you know, you're like, okay, that's, that's a little odd. But And that, I think that's just the process of that professional part of it versus the personal part of it. But I'm definitely excited to be in Montreal. I mean, I'm definitely excited to be going over there to have a chance to play for that organization. And the things that, you know, Kavis spoke to me about and, and Mike Sherman spoke to me about how they wanted to build the team and how they wanted to build it up, I think is, you know, we're going to do good things. And at the end of the day, I mean, it, the goals don't change. You know, I, I think, you know, my team has changed, but, I think, you know, the same goals, you know, I've, I've yet to be the last team standing. I've yet to play in that big game, and that's my same goal. Sure. I know the Bombers wanted you back, Jamal. Did it come down to money? Was it hard to move away from here? No, no. Um, I think, of course, money's in the decision, but it definitely didn't come down to money. It definitely wasn't a, um, a money thing. I think it, if it, it's a money thing, then it's easy decision. Whoever gives you the most money, you just go. But, no, I don't think it was a, a money issue. It was just, I think, everything that I wanted to see – from Montreal, everything I wanted to hear, you know, from them and how, you know, speaking to Cavis and how they're going to build the team and, you know, uh, the plan. And honestly, the process, it was tough, but it was kind of fun because I had an opportunity to speak to different players on different teams, different coaches and hear their philosophies and how they want to build the team and the direction they want to go. And, you know, that process is fun because it's, uh, you're talking to coaches that have great cup rings, multiple, you know, players that have been all-stars, that played in not only Super Bowls, great cups, have been MVPs, MOPs, and, you know, when I'm, you know, at, when I was a bomber, I didn't really care about any any other person except for the guys on my team. And I was locked in. I was ready. And you know, then you have opportunity. Hey, oh, why are you calling me? I don't know you. You're the enemy. I'm like, oh, not really. You're, you know, I'm free agent now. So it definitely was a difficult process. But I mean, it was, it was a it was an honor to have those kind of people reach out to you and want you to be a part of their, you know, what they're doing. And it definitely was very humbling. You look fondly, look back fondly on your three years here? Uh, definitely, man. I mean, from the time I chose to come here, you know, to that last game, I, I, we, we didn't hit our goals. And I think that's, the, that's the one regret, you know, when I, when I was a bomber, we didn't make it to the Great Cup. And that was what we worked. But I, I think, I, you know, I, I take a little you know, special pride that I had an opportunity to, you know, be in the locker room with Randall and Jake Thomas, Ian, Moe, Matt Nichols, Andrew, you know, all the D linemen and work with the staff and just kind of help grow the program. And I feel like... You know, I, I mean, I'm only one guy, but I felt like, you know, when I came, you know, I think we every year we got better. And I was just happy to be a part of that and, you know, just to have an uh, opportunity to play with those guys and, 
just being in the same locker room. So I definitely will miss that. I, that definitely is a fond memory, just being here and being in the city and, you know, and, and being with the guys because really in, in this league there's, there's so much turnover that we had an opportunity to have three years where we did have a lot of guys stay. And in this league, you know, guys are six months here, six months away. So you don't see them for six months. But when you see them for six months, a lot of guys are up here alone. A lot of guys are younger. I mean, I have a family. So it's just them and the team together. So definitely was a good experience. And I'm, I'm excited to get to know the guys in Montreal. I got to sit down and talk to Sutter a little bit yesterday, Bowman. I, I know Josh a little bit playing against each other down south. And I'm excited to meet those the other players on that team and just get to know them and just grow the team organically. And that's all you can ask for. You'll be closer to home. You'll play with your brother. Did those factor into your decision? I, I definitely think they were a factor, but, you know, I, I don't think there was an overriding one thing that was a factor. I think there was a little things. And honestly, after you take out the kind of the, the personal relationships, you start, you know, that's what you kind of have to do during free agency because, I mean, this year, you know, especially after, right before free agency, I mean, you've seen great players, Odell Willis traded, Charleston Hughes traded away. You know, you've seen great players, good players, moving teams where you're like, man, I would have never thought in 100 years you'll see Charleston in a different color. And same thing with Odell. I wasn't here when he was with the Bombers before, but I thought he would, you know, end his career there because, I mean, he's such a dominant player for so long. So you got to kind of take out some of the personal stuff because you never you never know what, what can happen down the road. You're always trying to make the best decision for yourself and your family. And I just like the way they were building it. And I, and I, I really like that. And just similar when I came here, the way they were building it and what they wanted to do. Good luck in Montreal. It's been fun watching you Definitely. play here, Jamal. I, I appreciate it a lot. I appreciate, you know, the way you cover me. I appreciate, the, you know, the things that you've done. And, you know, I've, I'm definitely going to miss you, man. I appreciate it. Jamal Westerman with our Bob Irving. Very cool interview. Thank you very much for that, Bob. Bob and Doug Brown, by the way, will be at the Global CJOB booth down at the RBC Convention Center for Mark CFL Week from 3 to 7 today over there at FanFest. We're going to start talking to Bob and Doug at 3 o'clock here on CJOB, and they'll continue to uh, talk live with Rich and Julie after 4 o'clock here on the news. And keep this in mind. If you're at work and you're listening and you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to sneak down there, 5 o'clock might be a good time to go because Matt Nichols of the Bombers and Toronto's Ricky Ray will be with Knuckles and Big Bird, a.k.a. Doug Brown, for about half an hour starting at 5. So 5, uh, so five to 5.30 might be a good time if you're going to sneak down there to the convention center. And tomorrow morning, right out of the 8.30 a.m. Global News, Mackling and McGarry will have Blue Bomber receivers Darvin Adams and Adarius Bowman in studio. That'll be cool. And if you want to check out the full Mark CFL Week schedule, just go to our Blue Bomber page at cjob.com. So tomorrow morning... The boys will have a couple more players in. This morning, if you missed it, they had Zach Kolaris and Jonathan Jennings, a couple of quarterbacks. Of course, Kolaris from Saskatchewan and Jennings with the BC Lions. Here's a bit of their conversation this morning with the quarterbacks. Talk about coming to Canada and like your Canadian geography. What was it like in university, Jonathan? Did you know anything about Canadian geography or the Canadian Football League, the history of the league. Well, I did not, but can I you also still name other, can you name other provinces now. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's no. I would definitely forget about one out out east for sure. It's, yeah, it's those. Yeah, I, I'm not even gonna start. Dude, they didn't teach us anything in school know, about uh, Canada. Not at all. My girl's family chirps me all the time. Like we learned so much about the states right. in school. I'm like, we didn't learn anything. We had Ohio history. We, yeah. didn't, we didn't even have U.S. history. We learned about <laughs> Ohio. Besides the fact that I didn't really pay attention in geography class, so 
Um, no, I mean, it's I, I love it out there. I, I'm obviously in Vancouver, so it's you know that's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life. So um, I try to tell everyone to get out there. And when I tell people I'm in Vancouver, they have no clue where I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh yeah, it's just about you know five hours north of Ohio. I'm like, no, we're over <laughs> Seattle, Dude, out west. The best one, I, the best one I ever had was they're like. I walked in somewhere back in my hometown, and somebody goes to me, like, are you still playing overseas? Like, yeah. Come on. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm still, I'm still up there. I'm overseas. Like, you were sent away or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we've got about 60 seconds left here. You're in Winnipeg for Mark CFL week. The Fan Fest begins today. So when will uh, fan, football fans in Winnipeg have the opportunity to meet? You guys, Zach, well, why don't we start with you? Do you know when you'll be um, out front and center? I'm not sure how much I'll be out front and center. I, I have a flight back tonight, actually. So we have what you guys in the media would call a car wash to go to right really? now. Really? That's then, interesting. Uh, yeah. Not washing cars, but just doing a lot of media <laughs> stuff. And then... Uh, it's, yeah, not huh? it's not a fundraiser. It's not a fundraiser. No, we can't come by and get our cars washed by, by Zach and Jonathan <laughs> holding signs. <laughs> they were fun. Claris and Jennings with our Mackling and McGarry this morning and tomorrow morning, 8.30 to 9, M&M will be joined uh, by Darvin Adams and Adarius Bowman. So make sure you tune in for that tomorrow morning right after Global News at 8.30. Got a break here for the news at 2 on CJOB. It's Hal Anderson. It's 4 right now at 680 CJOB, and here's someone who will never evict you. It's Hal Anderson. Ah, you're killing me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You're killing me. Tristan Field-Jones, thank you very much, sir. Coming up on 2.05, just about 5 after 2, time to do some winning here. We got a tough trivia question for you, and if you get it right, I'm going to hook you up big time. I'll hook you up with uh, tickets so that you can go to the Winnipeg Golf Expo at Red River Exhibition Park, April 6th and 7th, and... We're going to toss in a gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza. So Golf Expo tickets and some za. Good za. Santa Lucia za. 204-780-6868. 204-780-6868. Here is the tough trivia question. Correct answers can only be called in. Can't text them. Can't email them. you got to call them in. 204-780-6868. So grab a line. Here's the question. It usually takes until... The age of 32 for the average woman to finally achieve what she considers perfection when it comes to this. What is it? It usually takes until the age of 32 for the average woman to finally achieve what she considers perfection when it comes to this. 204-780-6868. Let's give it away now. Hi, what's your name? Hi, Sylvia. Sylvia, what do you think? Got an answer? Yeah, taking care of her finances. Oh, good guess, but not what we are looking for. Sorry about that. Hi, CJLB. Her career. Her career. Another good guess, but not what we need. No. Hi, CJLB. Uh, doing your hair? It usually takes until the age of 32 for the average woman to finally achieve what she considers perfection when it comes to her hairstyle. Yes. Very good. What is your name? My name is Adrian. 
Adrian, I'm going to put you on hold here. Jeff Forche, our producer, is going to get you all signed up for the prizes. You're going to go to the Winnipeg Golf Expo. Tickets for that. Red River Exhibition Park, April 6th and 7th. And Santa Lucia Pizza Gift Certificate. Good for you. Congrats. Thank you. All right. Excellent. Yeah. Wow. On average, it takes a woman until she is 32 to achieve perfection when it comes to her hairstyle. But I would argue that even once the average woman gets to 32, she doesn't just settle on a hairstyle for the rest of her life. Or I have never experienced that if that's the case. Usually, you're, you know, ladies, you're switching it up fairly often, and as far as I'm concerned, and nothing wrong with that. I don't know if you ever achieve perfection, or it certainly that's been my experience, anyhow. 207, the winning is done. We're going to get Adrian all hooked up off air. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, Richard Cluche will join us. We're going to talk hydro. There have been developments uh, since this time yesterday when we were talking about the resignation of essentially the entire board over at Manitoba Hydro. So we'll get the latest from Richard Cluche. He'll have lots more coming up on the news starting at 4 o'clock with Julie Buckingham. But we'll talk to Richard. And I've got a Muchos Kilos song for you as well. So hang on. Hal Anderson on CJOB. Hal Anderson. And Richard Cluche as well here on CJOB. Rich, uh, about this time yesterday you were here. You had just returned from the legislature where uh, Premier Pallister uh, scrummed with reporters. What has happened in the last 24 hours? Lots of conversations with lots of sources about this. And uh, we at Global News managed to obtain the resignation letter. And we have mm. the resignation letter from Sanford Riley, the chair, and all the other board members. It is and a it, long one. It goes into detail about the, uh, you know, if you want to talk beefs and bouquets. <laughs> There's a lot more beefs in this letter than bouquets. I'm sure. And it's aimed at the Premier and the fact that they couldn't get this critical meeting with the Premier since last October. And why do you say this is critical? Because the Premier runs this province that he is the key decision maker. And I think uh, anybody that is connected to government or in high stakes business in this province knows that. And that's fine because the Premier is making some critical decisions here. But if that's the case, the chair of the Manitoba Hydro Board should be able to get that meeting with the premier. Premier said, well, we're not meeting as long as there's a rate application out there with uh, the Public Utilities Board. Fine. But this has been ongoing and festering, if you will, for a year. And this is because Manitoba Hydro has a very high debt position. And without getting into too much, you know, the, the financial minutia, but when you have very high debt and all the construction that they're going uh, that's going on in the north and we're not getting a whole lot of money from power sales in the United States and if there is uh, a drought Manitoba Hydro can be in real trouble we're already in trouble we're going to have double digit maybe triple uh, the inflation rate of hydro increases over the next several years but they had a plan Part of that plan was to reduce uh, what they call water rental rates. Every drop that, of water that goes through a turbine mm. is taxed. Mm. And that tax goes to general revenues at the province of Manitoba. So Manitoba Hydro is taxed by the government that way. And they were also looking for 
um, the province to take on more of the hydro debt, upwards of $2 billion to, to, to really get that debt to equity ratio in a better position so that hydro could be on uh, a, a fairly good footing. And in this letter, and you can read it at cjob.com at globalnews.ca, it details that the plan was uh, responded to favorably by provincial officials. But the person that ultimately needed to sign off on it is the premier, and they couldn't get that deal. And uh, there is mention of the $70 million uh, Manitoba Métis Federation uh, deal, but that is a minor part. Mm-hmm. Now, it played a major role in the news cycle yesterday simply because that is the piece of populace, of popular, um, uh, a good solve politically for the premier to be able to say, you know what, I'm protecting the taxpayers of Manitoba by saying no to this. But as you do the research and dig into this deal further, these types of payments have been made to groups such as the Manitoba Métis Federation for over a generation now because the courts say you have to. So Mm. the premier can choose to say no. And David Chartrand, who was on with us, said, fine, Mr. Premier, but we'll see you in court, and it's going to cost you a whole lot more money. So in politics, Hal, we always say it's about getting to Friday. Mm-hmm. And, and and that expression means what can we do now in politics so we can kind of weather the news cycle until the end of the week, and hopefully there's a big fire or something that, it, that, uh, that, that attracts our attention in the media away from the story. Mm-hmm. But with this release of the letter, it really does show – how much uh, anger and frustration there was between the board at Manitoba Hydro, which was appointed by Brian Pallister and the Premier's office. Now, you've got a clip, and I know you want to play this clip, but but let me ask you a question based on everything you've just said. Why is the Premier, if if I believe everything you've said, and I have no reason not to, and I know you have many sources on this, why is the Premier not dealing with this? He has to deal with all of this at some point. I, I think he is the premier. Yeah, I think that he is vehemently, and and I'm. I'd like to hear him on this and yeah. invite him to call in and join us anytime. Right. But I think he doesn't like the idea of absorbing any of the hydro debt because that destroys some of the plans that they have for the provincial debt. And I understand that. Mm. And that's the choice you make. But not to have a meeting, not to say, yes, I agree with this or no, I don't until the stuff hits the fan. That's my point. Like, you've still got to sit down and deliver the bad news. If it's bad news, you've got to sit down with this board and deliver the bad news at some point. And I've talked to people who got the phone call asking if they want to be on the board. Mm. And they've said no. Mm. They've said no. And there are other people who serve on other boards that are looking at this and saying, well, me too. Hashtag me too. Mm. This is Graham Lane, and I asked him about the whole idea of the provincial government uh, assuming more of the Manitoba hydro debt. Manitobans are are paying for a boondoggle that uh, the government uh, uh, pursued. When uh, Pallister won his election, he promised before that he would uh, call a halt to the expansion and do a review. He didn't do it. He just went on spending $10 million a day. And... uh, one way, one strategy of taking off the burden of ratepayers would be an equity infusion. I call it taking off the debt off. Mm. And that's that equity infusion. Yeah. And the boondoggle that Lane is talking about 
was uh, government and opposition said that they were going to stop by Pole 3 in Kiosk in the north. But the reality is when you get into government, as soon as construction starts, you can't stop it. And the fact is, and a lot of the blame has to go to the previous government. Absolutely. They allowed hydro rates to stay low and they should have gone up a whole lot more. And uh, fracking in the United States didn't help either. The fact is, is that we have built um, a hydro establishment to try to keep rates low here domestically, but also thinking that there would be this huge export market in the United States. And there still may be in the future. Yeah, because things change. They got bad and they could get better again. But we're not getting what we expected and what the forecasters expected on this. And everybody that I talk to says, we get a drought Hydro is in big trouble because mm. they need that water up north to get those turbines running. And if uh, it is so weather dependent, and in, if we get a, a couple of drought years, they're in big trouble. So mm. I don't envy the next chair of the board at Manitoba Hydro. Yeah. Hey, uh, uh, Carolyn Classen from uh, Connexus Counseling is coming in after 2.30. And one of the things we're going to talk about, not a whole bunch, but we're going to talk about management style and motivating your employees and getting people to do what you want them to do. What would you describe Premier Pallister's management style as? My way or the highway. My way or the highway. And it works in some places, but in most modern day environments, it does not work at all. It's, um, you know, I, I give him credit. He's making some key decisions that other premiers have not. Yep. A lot of premiers that I know very similar style, but uh, they didn't have the edge that that Pallister does. Pallister, again, to his credit, he's he's making some very difficult decisions, but he's made a lot of enemies, not just outside his party, but within his party. It gets me wondering whether or not he really wants to get reelected, whether or not he's just going to say, I'm going to make the tough decisions and I'm going to step aside. I had that thought yesterday when this was kind of going down and I thought, maybe he's in till the end of this term, and he's done. Could be. Maybe. And he's doing a good job if he wants to do that. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, he he's trying to do some popular things, and there are hints that he wants to get reelected. But on the other hand, by the way, Brian Pallister, uh, or Brian Bowman announced that uh, he's running again. I heard. No big surprise. No. Uh, but he's made it official now that we, he will be running for re-election of the mayor of Winnipeg. Yeah. Again, no big surprise. We'll ask him at 4.35 following the 4.30 news uh, whether that means he doesn't want to be a member of the Manitoba Hydro Board. <laughs> and lots on the hydro and, of course, everything else that comes along with the news. Richard Clucci and Julie Buckingham. Thank you, Rich. Coming up starting at 4 o'clock here on CJOB 221. Quick time check. Let's get back to uh, some of your text messages and uh, phone calls on a couple of things. Uh, we started the show by talking to a driving instructor about this, uh, well, not this particular roundabout at Highways 2 and 3 that the province announced today, but just about roundabouts in general and got a lot of comments from you by text 204-780-6868. Dave says, hey, Hal, from someone who's driven 45 years, 30 of those professionally, I'll take traffic lights and four-way stops over roundabouts Anytime. Another text message here. North Dakota Hal uses roundabouts on highways. Works great for them. Surely we're just as smart as North Dakotans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I listen, 
I maybe I started it off. I, roundabouts make me a little nervous. I've just got to think about it, right? Uh, about how I I handle a roundabout. Uh, they make me a little nervous, and I'm not saying we can't handle it, but you know, this, that was sort of the way I got into the conversation. So maybe that's why some of these text messages are, are sort of slanted that way. Greg says, "Hey, Hal." Driving a big truck in a roundabout is not so much fun. And another one like that, Hal, a roundabout isn't going to be a lot of fun for truckers. And uh, Highway 3 is very busy. And one more text message and then a couple of phone calls. Tyson says, Hal, I really enjoy roundabouts, actually. They are very a very efficient way to get through an intersection. When I was 22, I drove around... The uh, big roundabout in Paris, which is five lanes, it has 12 exits. I made it through, no problem. All right, let's go to the phone on this, 204-780-6868. Hi, CJOB. Hi, Hal. Yes. NKJ here. Hello, North Kildon and Jim, how are you? I'm waiting for spring. I think we might have to wait a little longer, sorry. Oh, well, uh, at least we can get down our back lane now. Good. Uh, I lived in Edmonton, 70 to 75, mm-hmm. and they had traffic circles. Right. And I lived in the West End, and I worked downtown. And there was one, uh, it was either on Stony Plain Road in St. Albert Trail or Gateway in St. Albert Trail. And it was at least two, if not three lanes. Mm. And it was the quickest way, as long as there wasn't a big pile up there. Yeah. I actually started to go through a residential area to get to downtown because it was a disaster. Hmm. It was a disaster. And, and I, do you I, think it's because people didn't know how to maneuver their way through it? Well, the, the, the traffic circles had, had been there longer than I was. Yeah. And uh, I knew if you're going to a turn, get in, you want to get in the exit lane, you get in the exit lane and you signal to do it and you plan ahead. Mm-hmm. But, oh, uh, it, it was unreal. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate the call. 204-780-6868. I think we've got time for Brett on the phone talking about roundabouts. Yes, Brett, what was your point? Uh, the roundabouts. Yeah, the person was saying North Dakota has roundabouts on their highways that we have, uh, you know, we should be able to deal with North Dakota too. Yeah. Uh, the roundabouts are not on a major highway such as Highway 2 and 3. Mm. If if 75 floods, Highway 3 becomes the corridor to the south. Yeah, it's the go-to, yeah. If, uh, yeah. So if you were trying to come off of the uh, number two and get across there when, it, when it's uh, loaded with a flood, there's no way you're getting through there with a number of trucks and vehicles. And are you, a, truck, are you a trucker, Brett? I'm a, I'm a yeah. Okay. I'm a trucker. Interesting. All right. Well, thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Yeah, bye-bye. All right. Tristan Field-Jones is standing by. 2.30 Global News on the way next. Hal Anderson on CJOB. It's 4 at 680 CJOB. And now, Hal Anderson, everybody. Thank you very much, Tristan Field-Jones. TFJ will be back with 3 o'clock news, top of the clock. It is 2.33 now. And joining us, as she does every Thursday from 2.30 to 3, well, except for last Thursday. And I'll explain that in a moment. Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling. Hello, Carolyn. Hi, Al. How are you? Good. Uh, I think I told everybody this. 
I did have a couple people say, hey, where's Carolyn last uh, Thursday? Uh, you were away watching watching your son play volleyball. Yes, I was at McMaster University in Hamilton. The National Youth Sports uh, Volleyball Tournament was on, and mm-hmm. uh, my son plays for the Spartans at Trinity Western, and uh, they were in one, first place all season, and they lost in the final. Oh, and, no. Uh, it's a tough thing to have worked all season, be on top, and then lose. They will learn some valuable lessons from this, yeah. uh, but it stings. Well, and I think it stings for college and university athletes, too, because they've only got four years right. to do it or, or two years in some cases, right? Yep. So, yeah, a, a, a season like that, although they played very well, can be really devastating. Right, yeah. And, you know, I think there's when you're first place, you have a target on your back, right? And so all season long, people were gunning to beat them. And so they played UBC in the final, University of British Columbia, and the University of British Columbia played an awesome game. Yeah. And um, and they were out to get them, and they did. So um, it's a compliment to the team that somebody was so eager to beat yeah. them. Um, and it also hurts when that happens. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we're face-to-face because I'm going to apologize okay. for something that happened a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you and I were talking about unconscious gender bias. Yes. And after you left, a listener texted and said, Hal, doesn't she mean subconscious? And I went, yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah, I think you're right. Cause that's what I thought too. When he said that, I thought, yeah, I assume it was a he, I said, yeah. And I kind of threw you under the bus. So I apologize. Cause I said, well, I don't know. It was what was in her email. I was just reading her email. And then you pointed out to me yeah. and others did as well. But you pointed out to me that it actually can be both, but unconscious certainly works in that case. So I apologize for blaming you. And I was the one who was wrong. And I was following the listeners lead because I thought in my mind, yeah, it is subconscious. So I apologize. Well, and unconscious and subconscious for people like us in the business, we understand that those terms are relatively interchangeable. I recognize that for a lot of people, unconscious looks like a person's in a coma, right? Right. Got knocked out because of a punch. Um, and so it was an easy mistake to miss. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I just felt bad that I sort of threw you under the bus. And then somebody pointed out that I threw you under the bus. And I'm like, well, I'm not trying to throw her under the bus. Okay, I'm well, just- here's the thing, Hal. I, t- I was a host, like, for two afternoons once several years ago in your chair. Oh, were you really? I oh, was, I didn't know that. Yeah. And um, I just, I, I said to, it's like having one eye on the clock, one eye on the computer screen, one yeah. eye on the control board, one yeah. eye on your guest, and trying to have a, like, there's no, I don't know how you guys do it, right? Yeah. Like, you are busy. Mm. You do a masterful job, and if something every once in a while slips by, it's it's more surprising that it doesn't happen more often than yeah. the fact that it happens once in a while. Well, and I make mistakes every day, Carolyn. You know, in fact, I and and I see this honestly uh, three hours every afternoon for me to learn a bunch of stuff too, because okay. I I certainly don't know everything. You could argue and probably be right that I don't know much. <laughs> Um, I, uh, but uh, I learn things all the time. Like, for example, I had a mother in here who lost her son. Uh, uh she was here with mood disorders. They come in once a month. And I said, when did your son commit suicide? And she stopped me and said, we prefer that you don't put it that way. Yeah. And so I learned that right, right. on the air, right here in front of everybody. And I have no problem with that because I'm wrong a lot. And I understood as soon as she told me, you know, took his life or there's many other ways you can put it, mm-hmm. why it's important to do that and put it in a different way right. than that. That's a guy in his 50s saying stuff that I learned, you know, right. 40 years ago. Yep. Right. And language, the way it was, and the way it was said then. Yeah. Language shifts in order to more fully and accurately represent. Mm-hmm. And I think it's cool that 
you're wholehearted in a way that allows people to correct you or for you to learn on air in yeah. real time. Because I think often most of us, we learn more from our mistakes than from doing things right. It embeds, Absolutely. It embeds in our brain in a different yeah. way. And so um, when people can learn along with you mm-hmm. and uh, you're not ashamed by it, but just say, oh, I didn't know. Thank yeah. you for teaching me. I think it's a wonderful way to model to all of us to give ourselves permission to make mistakes. Yeah. Because when there's permission to make mistakes, there's also permission to try new things and to take risks. Mm-hmm. If we don't have the room to make mistakes, then we dare not try anything yeah. where we might not possibly get it completely right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, I wanted to do that face-to-face. Um, my way or the highway. I just had Richard Clucci and we were talking about the hydro thing and, mm-hmm. and Premier Pallister, and this has been a big story over the past 24, 36 hours. And I don't want to talk about the politics of it, but I do kind of want to talk about management style and how you get people to see things your way. Uh, Richard said the Premier's uh, uh, management style he would describe as my way or the highway, and that can be very efficient in certain circumstances. How do we, and now switch it to us, so forget about the hydro and the premier and all that stuff. How, how do we try and motivate people to see things our way? Whether we're a, a boss trying to get an employee to do things our way, uh, we're in a relationship, hey, this is, you know, what we need to do, you know, in order for me to be happy and us to be happy. Um, a million scenarios you know, I think you and I have talked about good managers. I have a lot of respect for a good manager who has knows that for me, you got to kick me in the butt, and for Carolyn Classing, you got to pat her on the back. And everybody's got a different, different style. A different style. How do you try and get people to see things your way, or is it maybe that's not even important? Maybe maybe you need to see things their way. Well, it's an interesting that as you ask, start asking that question, then you almost re-ask the question yeah. because I think. As a manager, I would like to say, can we figure out the best way to see this? I'll tell you what my way is, and um, I would like some pushback if you think that my way is not the best way. I want you to know. I want you to tell me. I want you to defend your position. I want to be a richer person for the conversation Mm -hmm. um, so that we can come up with the best solution. And, um, you know, I I have two eyes and one brain. I can't see everything from every perspective. And so I I personally think that a manager is best enriched when they can invite a variety of strategies to the table and then we can come up with the best solution together. Um, I, and that, But I think part of that whole leadership thing is also then saying, but guys, there's parts of this story that I have a perspective you don't because managers know things that not everybody else knows. Right. And so I bring something to the table that you can't possibly know. And so... Um, the buck will stop with me at some mm-hmm. point because I have some information that you can't have. Uh, but it's interesting. It, like, I think leadership and authority are different. Um, where leadership is when people have to listen to you, authority is when people listen to you because they trust you. Um, and that's an interesting um, dynamic to bring into this is to figure out how to develop a relationship of trust between managers and workers so that when the manager makes a tough decision, the the employees understand that at some level that's what makes sense because it's and that's a hard thing to do for a manager to figure out how to earn that trust when sometimes they have to make decisions that are unpopular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you, you know, and and back to the politics part of it, whether it's this story or not, I think that's even more important in politics that you come together and figure things out as opposed to one person saying, "Here's how we're here's how we're doing it." Now, here are your marching orders. Go and do it. I've been a news director. Three times in my career, okay. twice on radio, once on television. 
And I used to encourage people that worked for me. I used to say, I want to hear what you think. Even if it's going against what I think, I want to hear it because you're right. You can learn things from other people. Your way isn't necessarily the best way. I look at the boss or the manager or or the supervisor as the person who ultimately has to make the decision. Mm -hmm. And you have to respect that that person has to make that decision. But I've always preferred having somebody come to me with their thoughts and let's take that and, oh, Bill thinks this and what do you, hey, that's a good idea. I didn't think of that and figure it out. But then ultimately somebody needs to make uh, the decision. But it it kind of sounds, uh, we'll see what happens with this hydro story, not to bring, not to drag you into <laughs> it. But one of the things I have to do as a host on a, on a talk, news talk radio station is we have to sort of link and connect stories. And so I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with this because it doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of communication going on, whether that's, uh, you know, the premier's fault or the board's fault or whoever. We'll we'll find out. But I thought it was an interesting conversation for, for us to have, and I think you answered it really well uh, in that, uh, yeah, you've got to figure this stuff out together, right? Well, and I'll let you do all the politics yeah. stuff. Um, but I, I like the proverb that says iron sharpens iron, right? Um, and so I think there's something to be said of this is my position, but I'm going to invite some pushback before I make my final decision because when we really battle, butt heads and really battle and figure out the ideas, then I might get my ideas sharpened and more effective and they may shift a bit because um, you're bringing parts of this into this that I can't know. And and all of that, I think it's, it's, it's a ch- and, and it, I think what it takes is a fair bit of, self-confidence in the leader to be able to say, I'm going to invite pushback. I am confident enough in my position that I am willing to be wrong. I'm willing to be challenged in order to become a better leader. That's not easy to to do because it's inviting challenge. It's inviting conflict. And, you know, so many of us, if we can sail through something, why wouldn't we, right? It's it, to really engage in the process requires a lot more courage and a lot more dedication. And, and frankly, it takes more time and effort. Yeah. Right. Carolyn Klassen is here from Conexus Counseling 243, coming up on quarter to three. Quick break. We'll check the forecast and come right back. It's Hal Anderson on CJOB. Used to bother me, thought I could never leave. all that I've been through, nothing left to prove. No, 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 I don't think about it. You weighing down on me. That is Kelly Clarkson, her new song, I Don't Think About You. And uh, the video is phenomenal. I got home last night and I said, my wife, I said, you've got to see this video, Jackie. It's great. The song is called I Don't Think About You. And I'm a big Kelly Clarkson fan anyhow. And I played some of that song on the air yesterday. And uh, Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling, I thought this is something for us to talk about today. Basically, she says the song is about that moment when you realize something no longer has power over you anymore. Whatever, it could be a person, it could be an event. Um, And as I watched the video and heard the song for the first time the other day in the newsroom on YouTube, I'm sitting in the corner and I'm like, (laughs) you know, and I'm kind of getting choked up because the video, the music is incredible, but when you add it to the video, it's just really powerful. And I think everybody can relate to that, right? We all have probably multiple things in our life, but we all have those things that hopefully we get to the point where they no longer have that power over us. Well, this song, this is about why I get up in the morning, Mm -hmm. right? Like 
the reason why I work with clients in the way I do is because to watch people get to the point to say, yeah, I remember what happened, but it doesn't hook me emotionally like it used to. It doesn't hijack me. Yeah. I don't have to avoid things or um, I don't have, it doesn't, it doesn't ride the, drive the bus anymore, right? Yeah. I'm driving my own bus. Mm-hmm. Um, to watch people get to that point is just such an enriching, powerful thing. It's it's really, it's it's why I got into the business and why I continue to do therapy is to watch people get to that point of healing to say, this, this I remember it, but it doesn't hook me anymore. Yeah. I'm okay now. And I'm and some and this song even talks about I'm stronger for it, right? Like because this happened, I am I am stronger than I used to be because I had to find parts of myself. To, I had to draw on parts of myself yeah. that I didn't know about before. I had to develop and grow parts of myself and I'm better off now than I was before. Mm-hmm. Man, that's it's just that's such a high to watch people get there. Yeah. How do people get there? How do we get there though? Some of us have are there others struggle their entire lives and never get there. Well, I think it's important that um one of the things I, I I led a workshop yesterday, actually all day working with people with emotional resilience and, and when they were working in very difficult situations. And um, what we talk about with when I do Brene Brown's work is the physics of vulnerability, that if we try hard enough, often enough, the physics of vulnerability is that we're going to fail eventually, right? Like when you risk for love, r- falling in love is terrifying. Yeah. And sometimes it's not going to go well. It's not mm. always going to go great. And it's not even, it didn't go well because you weren't smart and because you didn't see the warning signs. Sometimes there were no warning signs to be seen yeah. at the time. You couldn't have known what was going to be coming not down the fault. pipe. It's not your fault, mm-hmm. but you get deeply wounded, right? Yeah. And being deeply wounded doesn't mean that you did it wrong or that you're a failure or that you're not enough or that you're a screw up. It means you're hurting. And often when at that moment of hurting, we start beating ourselves up of, oh, I was so stupid to let myself get in that situation, which is sort of funny because, you know, if somebody hits a brick wall, you don't be yelling at them while they're on the floor saying, well, that was a dumb thing to do. You get them to the hospital and you take care of them, right? Mm -hmm. And so at at that time of wounding, it's important to recognize that this is a moment of suffering. I'm hurting. I have to be kind to myself. I have to draw in resources. I have to give myself permission to hurt. Mm. And now I have to begin to do the active work of healing. I have to recognize what I'm telling myself about this. I want to look at other ways of um, seeing the situation. Um, I want to move forward and I want to figure out how I can emerge from this stronger than I was before. I don't want to be, I love the line that we use in Brene Brown's work of, I want to finish, I want to write my own ending. I don't want to be the victim. I don't want to be the villain. I don't even want to be the hero of my story, but I want to be the author of my story. Mm-hmm. And this sto- song by Kelly Clarkson, that's what she's saying is now I am the author of the story. You don't dictate who I am and how I am with other people. I'm fine now. Yeah. Beautiful. Did you print off the lyrics? Is I that did. what you've got? You so did. give me give me some favorite lyrics of yours from the song that sort of adds to what we're talking about here. Well, it says, I feel freedom where I stand now, and I feel proud from who I am now. I learned a lot along the way. I love the woman that I became. Um, and, she, you know, it, I was patient, but not anymore. Um, where she's learned some lessons about how far to let somebody push her. It used to bother me. Um, it used to weigh down on me. I lost my sanity, but now I don't think about you, right? Like there was ways in which... You know, when somebody breaks your heart, you just spent so much time thinking about them yeah. and sort of wishing it was different and wondering how you could have done things different and what of it was your fault. And that ability to heal enough to be able to say with time, but also the effort to read books, to allow yourself to grieve, to talk to friends. Some people need to go see a therapist. Many won't. That you figure out how to be able to let go of it in a way that says this has become, it's, I'm integrating it into who I am. It doesn't mm-hmm. hijack me in my current life. Yeah. 
you know, um, we all have struggles in life. Mm-hmm. Some are bigger than others. Mm-hmm. And I think when we're going through that stuff, we don't ever see that day when we'll look back and go, I'm glad I went through that. But boy, so much of the struggle I've had in my life, and I've been really blessed. I've been so lucky in my life. But I look back at some struggles, and I'm glad I went through those because it's made me who I am now. Not perfect, but I've got my warts, and I've got, you know, but I like who I am. And it's because of the good and the bad things that have happened. One of my favorite television shows is called This Is Us. Oh, my wife, I don't don't watch it. Um, only because my wife started it and I went, oh, I'm going to pass on this one. And I wish I'd gotten into it because she just goes on and on about that show. It's, and it, there's a wisdom to some of, to some parts of the show where it's such a human show, um, where it's so accurately, rep- um, just has sort of, sometimes it feels like it's peeking into people's hearts. There's this line that comes up periodically a couple of times a season and it says something like, uh, there's. I'd like to think that there's no lemon so sour that you can't make something resembling lemonade. And I, I like to think that it's not that we would invite tragedy or that tragedy is ever worth it. There's some tragedy that's just tragic, right? A lot of tragedy is just tragic. But mm-hmm. I think the challenge is so when something, when life hands us something terrible, um, I've always sort of, how can I make this into something that isn't just tragic? How can I also bring something redemptive out of it? How can it make me stronger? How can I use this to, um, in my work, how can I write about it so other people can read and perhaps be inspired by it? How can I use this pain and somehow turn it into something resembling lemonade? If the tragedy has to happen anyways, I'm going to see if I can sort of kick it in the butt and see if I can fool it by saying, it's not just bad, I'm turning it into something good. There's redemption. I think always we can we can find a redemption in it. Not right away no. and not to say, oh, well, then it was worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, but to say, I'm not going to just let this beat me. Carolyn Klassen from Connexus Counseling. Great job today. Uh, how can people get a hold of you if they need to? Oh, we'd love to talk to you. Our phone number is 204-275-1045 or look us up online at connexuscounseling.ca. Global News at 3 o'clock is next. Hal Anderson on CJOB. Thank you, TFJ. Tristan Field-Jones, 3.07. Final hour here for me. And uh, then, of course, Richard and Julie and the news begins at 4. For the next uh, four hours here on CGOB, we will be checking in with Bob Irving and Doug Brown. They are over at FanFest at the RBC Convention Centre, part of Mark's CFL Week, which is well underway. So I'll hand it over to CJOB's Bob Irving and Doug Brown, Big Bird. Go for it, boys. Hey, Hal, thanks very much. And if you want to jump in at any point, feel free. Yes, we're on the third level of the Winnipeg Convention Center. I almost feel like we're doing a football game because Doug's to my right and I'm where I normally am when I'm calling a game. The only thing is we're not at Investors Group Field. We're at FanFest, which is a big part of Mark's CFL week, and uh, they're just opening the doors, as a matter of fact. I think they open the doors at 3 o'clock, and man, this is a sensational setup, Doug Brown, is it not? It is football Disneyland. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a cross between a carnival and real gridiron stuff here. Uh, there's something for everyone, it looks like. Yeah. Many, many booths, many, many vendors, very, uh, very many different experiences for the football fan, and uh, what a way to, uh, you know, take your CFL experience to another level, get in touch with all these different elements here, yeah. see some of the, 
the stars of the future for the Canadian Football League and uh, just outstanding. Like, it's amazing how they've transformed this place, right? You come up here and this looks like legitimate football business that is happening and a bunch of vendors set up out here, ourselves yep. included, <laughs> trying to get a piece of the action here. So They have a fan cave over here, which is a nice way of saying it's a beer garden. But, uh, yeah, so you can get refreshments. There's a quarterback target simulator, a kicking simulator in front of where Doug and I are sitting, and then this big field, 80 by 40 yards, and at the end of it, they've got bleacher set up. So it's it's hard to describe, but it just looks fabulous, and uh, you'll enjoy it down here, folks, and it's going to be here today, tomorrow, Saturday, and Sunday, and it's open to the public. It's free. Doug, I want to ask you about last night. They announced the Hall of Fame inductees for 2018. Uh, over at the Investors Group Field in the Pinnacle Club. Scott Flory, Brent Johnson, Baron Miles, all contemporaries of yours, and Hank Alessic, the kicker who started with Edmonton when he was 17 out of high school. But uh, a great evening over at uh, the Pinnacle Club, and I know that you feel these guys are very, very worthy of the, being the latest inductees. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I, I wrote a story about this on Tuesday, and a lot of people asked me last night, they're like, were you tipped off about these Hall of Fame players and I was like, are you serious? All you had to do was go on to the Canadian Football Hall of Fame and look at who was eligible. Yeah. And these names just kind of jump off the page at you. Now, gr- granted, I had two more in terms of the, the five guys I selected that would be uh, announced or rewarded uh, out, out of the, the, the three I did get. I mean, you're talking about Scott Flurry, You're talking about Brent Johnson. You're talking about Baron Models. Those those guys are real easy, right? They're yeah. shoe-in guys. Uh, you look at Scott Flurry. And the first thing that that strikes you about him is he has legitimate Chris Walby statistics. Nine-time All-Canadian. Yeah, and when you are a CFL All-Star nine times, they make T-shirts about you, right? (laughs) We've just seen uh, uh, Chris Walby come out with one of those. And, you know, he was such a technically sound guard. Uh, You know, he's a great guy, uh, fantastic to get to know off the field. Uh, We were watching his highlight uh, tape that they did when they uh, announced he was going to the Hall of Fame last night and I was standing next to Chris and I whispered to him, I'm like, listen Chris if you see me watching intently at this highlight package, I just want to make sure there's no clips of me getting jacked up <laughs> by Scott Flurry. that's going, you don't want to be part of anybody's highlight yeah. Hall of Fame package because that's something they're going to keep forever so luckily I was not involved in any of the spectacular blocks we saw him doing in terms of his highlight reel but uh, what a tremendous competitor, a shutdown guard, always played strong side against that three technique. So he really had to protect two ways, B-gap and A-gap, inside out there, and uh, one of the best to do it, really. And then Brent Johnson, right? Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. We had very similar uh, careers in terms of expanse. Uh, we both played 11 years. We both played for one team. We both wore the same number. We both played defensive line. Obviously, he was an edge rusher, and the kind of pace and tenacity, he wasn't just mechanically skilled. He had this motor that was, uh, you know, never stopped, never quit. A lot of his sacks you'll see in the the highlights from last night, they were effort plays. Not a very big guy either. He He was fairly small as defensive linemen go. You just talk about a guy that never gave up. Yeah. On, on a rush or, or getting after, pursuing to the football, right? They, they talk about that as a fundamental of this game, and nobody pursued the football better than Brent Johnson. And obviously, Baron Miles, you know, did things at the safety position uh, that you haven't seen other yeah. people do. The kind of stats he put up as a safety, sure. second all-time 
in the CFL, only behind Les Brown. With interceptions. Uh, with interceptions. It's yep. it's an outstanding trio. Obviously, the other inductees I know less about, not in my, my uh, yep. timeline or tenure, but those three guys, I can tell you, very easy to expect and predict that they were going to take their place in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Well, it was well done. There was a time when the CFL would announce the Hall of Fame inductees with a press release, and that was it until they had the actual induction ceremony in Hamilton. But they've done it differently the last few years, and boy, it was first rate uh, last night. Congrats to Wade Miller and the Blue Bombers for the job that they did. Ricky Ray and Matt Nichols are going to join Doug and I uh, on our site here at Convention Center between 5 and 5.30. We'll spend some time with them, maybe visit with them. I talked to Ricky Ray earlier today, and he he told me that story. When he first came to the CFL, his nickname was Frito-Lay because he worked for Frito-Lay driving a truck. And he told me the story, and it's really, really funny. And uh, we're going to play that interview, I think, tomorrow at some point in CGOB. Kelly Moore will decide that. But he's uh, it's great to see him coming back for another year, Doug, isn't it? Uh, you know, he, he, at the end of the season, he won the Grey Cup in Toronto, and he said, well, I'll see if I'm going to play. Why wouldn't he play another year? Yeah. You know, it's not like he's declining. Very good situation, obviously, there in Toronto. Yeah. You always worry about his health and, you know, the, his viability getting through 18 games. and. Yeah. But if you have a healthy Ricky Ray and it's playoff time, then you obviously know that uh, the sky is the limit in terms of what you can do. And, you know, you always hope for just always one more year when it's guys like Ricky Ray, all-time great quarterbacks. You just want to get as much as you can get out of them, right? Yeah. You want to see how much more uh, clips, how they can continue to defy that battle with age and, uh, you know, just hold off the decline that, that a lot of us face later on in our careers. Ricky Ray is just, he's been able to navigate that, his touch on the ball. Like you said, you never want to see him take a lot of shots, but yeah. if he gets the opportunity, who is more accurate in terms of placing a football than Ricky Ray in the CFL right now? Not many guys, I'll tell you that no. right now. So yeah, fantastic. One of those lead-by-example kind of guys as well. Yeah, well, he's back for another year. So, uh, Hal Anderson, we would remind everybody that uh, Fan Fest here at the Convention Center, it's fantastic. Uh, bring your kids if you're a fan. If you're not a fan, come on down and check it out. It's just a sensation. I can't say enough words about what a sensational setup they they have here. And, of course, the Blue Bombers are organizing this and get all the credit in the world. Uh, Doug and I will be here all afternoon into the evening. Come down and get an autograph from Doug, get a picture. There's a picture of me out front here if anybody wants to take that home they can i'll sell it to them real are you cheap. telling me bob you don't have any eight by ten glossies that you're signing there with a sharpie come on i, f I forgot my eight by ten glossies <laughs> or thank somebody you. threw them in the garbage yeah, right yeah. yeah thank you guys anyway we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you again right after yeah. the news here at 3 30 okay we'll rejoin you then how okay good excellent all right there's bob irving and doug brown fan fest rbc convention center mark cfl week and i have a feeling there are a lot of people that will be grabbing the kids and heading down after work to see Matt Nichols and Ricky Ray there with Bob Irving and Doug Brown from 5 to 5.30. Wow, that's cool. And don't forget, tomorrow morning, Mackling and McGarry, right after the 8.30 news tomorrow morning, we'll have a couple of bomber receivers. Darvin Adams and Darius Bowman will join the boys in studio. Let's break here. We'll check traffic in the weather forecast. 3.15 now at CJOB. Hal Anderson on 680 CJOB. All right, so the uh, CAA here in the province of Manitoba, they announced their uh, worst roads campaign. I'll tell you how to vote in just a second. Let me get to a few text messages that I've been 
uh, getting from people here this afternoon. Weighing in on the worst roads out there. Sherwin Road, Hal, is bad. That is from one text message. Uh, Daryl says, Hal, come on, your show's only three hours long. Not enough time to name all the worst roads out there. Another text, it'll be easier to get people, Hal, to call in with the good roads in Winnipeg than the the bad ones. Bit of a theme going here. Uh, Another one, one more text message here. Hal, Highway 15 between Dugalt and Enola, by far the worst. Absolutely brutal. And this campaign uh, is province-wide as well with the CAA and... Les is on the phone, 204-780-6868. Hello, CJOB. Yes. Worst road, what do you got for me? I got uh, Memorial Boulevard coming from the bay, parking lot to the legislative ground. Yeah, that would definitely be on my list too. Okay, because a lot of tourists come into that area, right? Right. During the summer, they ride that uh, wagon, that uh, wagon we have there, Mm -hmm. and... uh, so, you know, that, 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 that's a good area. Yeah. Thank you, Les. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And by the way, if you want to vote, you go to CAA's website. So it's caamanitoba.com slash worst roads. caamanitoba.com slash worst roads. And you can vote on that until April 18th. And we had Mike Major on, the president of CAA Manitoba earlier, and they figure they'll get six, seven, maybe 8,000 people voting on the worst roads out there. We also found out today that the province is going to be putting a roundabout at highways two and three. I think we've got a time here for a quick call from Bill at 204-780-6868. Hi, Bill. Hi. Hi. I was just calling about the roundabouts. Yes. The first time I ever went into one, I went to visit my uncle in Edmonton, and I got into this three-lane roundabout, which I'd never, ever seen before, and I kept going round and round and round, and (laughs) and had a heck of a time getting out. Did you eventually figure it out, Bill, and made your way out? It took me a while, yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Bill. Okay, bye-bye. And Jeremy, quickly, text message, just got this one. uh, Hal Highway 34, the worst there is in the province from Gladstone to the U.S. border. Keep them coming. 323, we'll check the forecast again and sports and news next. It's Greg Mackling at St. Vitale Center. How much do I love Winnipeg? I can't tell you how much I love it. People coming in to say hi, just outside London Drug, St. Vitale Center. And then a brand new friend just walked in with a bag of food. And I got to give a shout out to Joel McInnes over at St. Vitale Earl's who sent some food over for the troops over here. <laughs> Samantha Stevens from our friends at Peggy at 99.1, Randy Parker and Joyello at Power 97. We're here because tonight at midnight, it's the final deadline, the absolute last chance to get in on the St. V Mega Million Choices Lottery. The real bonus in this is that those TV commercials where I've been invading your living room, your bedroom, and your family room, those end at midnight tonight as well. But you might as well get a ticket and support the incredible research, world-class research at that, and patient care taking place on campus at St. Boniface Hospital. This is your opportunity to say thank you, your opportunity to invest in this health care that we will all depend on at one time or another. St. P, megamillionchoices.ca to get your tickets online, or come on down to St. Vitale Centre, say hello, we're outside London Drugs.
Clearing minus six tonight. Tomorrow, clouding over plus two. Some snow on Saturday. Periods of light snow. Doesn't look like it's going to be too much. Windy as well on Saturday and a high of zero. And right now, partly sunny and four degrees at CJOB. Weather for your Steinbach Auto Dealers, Manitoba's third largest community, is number one. For service, it's worth the trip to Steinbach, the automobile city. Hal Anderson, if this is the segment I think it's going to be, I'm looking forward to hearing what Austin Saragusa has to say. Uh-huh. Austin Saragusa joining me in studio. Uh, also, Diana Foxhall is here. Just before we go to Bob Irving and Doug Brown over at the RBC Convention Center, Mark CFL Week Fan Fest happening over there, and uh, chat with Bob and Doug here in just a moment. I had to get Austin Saragusa on. I had to get Diana Foxhall on and... Uh, uh, Diana, I don't know if you're aware, but uh, Austin is my uh, uh, info guy on the weekend, on the weekend show, and he was going on and on about how he was going to destroy you in the CFL Combine. And uh, you guys did this today, along with uh, Mike Conkin and also uh, Kevin Hirschfield. How was it, uh, going through the uh, the same paces that a CFL player would go through? It was actually kind of daunting at first, seeing how mm. far those 40 <laughs> yards actually looked. Yeah. It made me a little nervous. And, yeah. I, <laughs> and the entire time, like I told you on the weekend, I just... I just wanted to beat Diana. Yes, and I did. Not you in everything. Did. Not, in everything. Not wow. in everything. My my, I beat Diana at a cost, though. <laughs> yes, I, I hope this video is going to be made available online soon because Austin, uh, a young fit man, running as hard as he can, doing the forty, and right at the end, he trips over nothing. And ends up flat on his face. What yeah. happened? I just, I don't know. I just kind of tried turned to... to the camera. Yeah, I, I, that's <laughs> he actually... turned to face the he camera and he just camera. dived. He turned to the camera to look good and he duck a dive. Yeah, no, oh, I got, that's I got a, funny. Got a face full of uh, turf. It was great. Yeah. But you did not beat Diana by much. And honestly, Diana, on the weekend show, I was saying I put my money on you. I I'm thought sorry, you were gonna... No, that's okay. No, <laughs> no, sorry. no, no. But you, he didn't uh, beat you by much, right? You got five point eight. I got five point four. Wow! It's. Uh, I mean, we could do a rematch on a longer, on a longer race, and I think I'd have a bit more of an edge. But I did beat you on the broad jump. She beat me on the broad jump. Uh, what did you get here? You seven got four. Yeah, she got seven po- seven four. I got six seven five. Wow, mm. a little embarrassing. Yeah, not very good. And yeah. then on the vertical jump, I got twenty four and a half inches. Diana got twenty one point five. Very good. Well, hey, listen, you know what? Seriously, little guys, like, good on you for just doing it. I thought that was uh, very cool. Thanks, man. And, Dan, I'll still put, if you want to have a rematch one weekend on Hal Anderson Weekends, (laughs) we'll do it in the parking lot, and we'll put a few dozen donuts at the end of the 40 yards. Done. Because I know you're into donuts. And uh, we'll have a rematch, maybe. Yeah. All right. Uh, Thank you guys for coming in. I appreciate it. Thanks, for uh, Thanks for doing that. Everybody's having fun with Mark CFL Week, Bob Irving, Doug Brown, down at the RBC Convention Center Fan Fest. Go ahead, Bob. Hey, Hal, thanks very much. Yeah, Doug and I are in our uh, CJOB Global booth on the third level at the Convention Center. Fan Fest is underway. Uh, it's Mark's CFL week. It's the second such. The first one was in Regina last year. I wasn't there, but people raved about it. Of, co- of course, it's a league initiative, and then the, uh, the city and team plays as the host, and the Bombers are hosting this. But it was uh, Christina Litz, who's a Winnipegger, and is in the league uh, front office. She, it was her idea, and she's really the driving force behind this. We've got simulators, Doug and I do, in, in front of us, and uh, there's some little kids. Doug, we just had a fan sit down at our table here, and, man, it, 
his passion for the team runs deep. He's talking about Dieter Brock and being his favorite quarterback and how you guys have missed on great cups in recent years, and he's an encyclopedia of the game. So I'm sure we're going to see all kinds of fans, young and old, over here in, in the next uh, four days. But just your thoughts on this, which didn't exist when you played. Yeah, it's a great way to break up the, the year and have some football involvement, right? There's such a, you know, such a switch off and there's just a, a big wall that goes down football over yeah. right you know at, at the end of great cup there's just nothing and there's news and there's little tidbits and snippets that come and out free and, agency but after that yeah it, it is so fragmented yeah. right and this is something that just really warms everybody's appetite for the game and it gives the fans an idea an up close look at the kind of testing and you know we were just hearing how and, and some of the people down at the station going through. By the way, those were really bad times I heard, yeah. by the way. And the, the, the 40 and stuff like that, that was, that was wow. Awesome. I, wanted, I wanted to break in and, and tell these guys not to quit their day job. I'll yeah. tell you that right now. But uh, it, it gives people an appreciation for the game. You get up close. You see the prospects. You learn about players that are going to be up and get. This is where it all starts, right? You know, sure. I still remember back, uh, you know, to my day coming out of Simon Fraser University and getting invited to uh, the Combine in, in Calgary. And uh, this, this is what you train all, all year. Once your last uh, uh, football season ends as a collegiate player, mm -hmm. this is what you train for. This is your showcase. You want to talk about, you know, this is your one opportunity to impress, get film outside, interview with all the, the staff and, and so forth. Whether it's a regional Combine or the big show, uh, combine in terms of you know now guys have to qualify and and they kind of have to um, they have to go through and they have to excel just to get to the final combine and everything but uh, it's just fantastic it is such a moment and uh, to see guys transition to see people have so much success on the field it doesn't always translate you know there's so many storylines that come yeah. out of this right guys that look like tarzan on 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 the testing and they play like jane in the one-on-ones <laughs> you know so many uh so many storylines that you get and this is just that window you know for fans here it's all broken down it's all grassroots level right this is where careers start where they're made and, sure. and broken and uh it's fantastic they have this you know, it's springtime now. Football's right around the corner. This is definitely going to whet everybody's appetite. The Western Regional Combine, which is for players who are vying to be drafted in May by CFL teams, was held this morning over at the U of M. And on the weekend, they're going to have the National Combine with all the top prospects right here at the convention center uh, going through their paces. That's one of the things Doug was talking about, and people can come down and, and check that out. Uh, and all the stuff that's here at the convention center, including the, what do they call this cave again over here? Um, the yep. Twisted T. Be a little twisted is the sign up there. And I think we all get the Beer message, garden. of course. We all want you to drink responsibly, as they say. Beer garden. Thank you, Doug, very much. Uh, and we see some people filing in now, and kids. It's great for kids, too. I mean, all the little guys here with the with the footballs and everything else, and they're just uh, bouncing around. And that's what these things are about, is to get some of the kids involved. Yeah, I mean, there's huge lifelike simulators here. There's yeah. video games here, right? All football spin, all football related. There's little photo booths with the commissioner. Right there's you can play ping pong in the beer garden. Yeah. Uh, there's merchandise sales here. There's athletes doing combine-like activities on the the artificial turf here. There's just so many different stations and elements here. It's uh, as you said. You sit down here. You're like, oh, 
there's a game or something's going to be going on because that kind of atmosphere and environment that we're that we're working in here and this is uh this is the nuts and bolts of pro football. It starts at, uh, at occasions like this. Now, if Odell Willis came in here, and uh, no doubt, Doug, he'll be along here at some point, 50 top players from the league are in town, and they're going to mingle in here over the next few days. If Odell Willis came in and challenged you to a 40 race. Oh, well, I don't think, you know, even at my prime, I would never beat Odell Willis no. in a 40. I would certainly beat him in the bench press. The bench press. Without question, <laughs> right now, even though he's still an active player, I can guarantee you that. Yeah, he'd, uh, he'd probably get me in most of the movement things. I would not like my chances against Odell Willis yeah. in the 40, standing broad jump, vertical, uh, lateral movement drill. These are all, you know, he's a smaller man. Yeah. But uh, he looked good. I saw him earlier today. We had, uh, the media had a chance to interview a bunch of the players who were here, who, by the way, are extremely engaging. Like, they're relaxed. They've let their hair down, Doug. There's no game that they're playing. And, and it's uh, really a fantastic opportunity for us to get to know these players a little better. But Odell is here. He's a BC Lion now. Yeah. He looks great, by the way. He looks like he's in fabulous condition, maybe bigger up top than I've seen him for a while. Talks about how he's matured. He's 34 years of age. And he said, man, it's a blessing to still just be playing. And I'm going to get every year out of it that I can. So it was it was delightful to, to, to talk to Odell, a former teammate of yours. I'm sure it's you're not surprised that he's matured a little bit because he used to be a little bit of a yeah, a little yeah bit you know that, that happens. Maybe. There's a moment I think in every player's career yeah. where you the light goes on. Yeah, the light goes on <laughs> in, in the sense that whoa, I only get to do this once. I have one opportunity to do this, and if I keep behaving or acting the way I have, cur- have previously <laughs> been doing, that's going to shorten things. You obviously want to maximize uh, this experience and, and your career as long as you can. It's a similar thing I think uh, Darius Bowman yeah. went through in Edmonton, right? He says that over and over. The yeah. light goes on and you're yeah. like, well, this is my one. How do you want to be received? How do you want to be perceived by people? What, what are your final chapters in the book? That's you know Those are the ones that close, close and, and finish your narrative and your yeah. story. So uh, you know, these guys both have a, a realization about, you know, how precious the gift of professional football is and how fleeting it is as well. Well, and they're all in Winnipeg the next four days. It's, uh, the CFL calls it its largest off-season party. Doug and I are at FanFest here at the Convention Center. All the information that you want is at www.markcflweek.ca. I believe it's also at cjob.com. Uh, so we'll be back uh, throughout the afternoon. Again, Ricky Ray and uh, Matt Nichols are going to join us. And, uh, Hal, you should come down here and uh, check out the beer garden. <laughs> well, there for a minute listening to you, Bob, I thought maybe you'd already visited the beer garden. You were sort of stumbling over the name of the beer garden and stuff. I was a little worried about yeah. you there. Well, I'm a little out of practice, Hal. This is my off-season, you know, and they brought me out of the bullpen, and I don't have my fastball yet, Hal. Okay. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Doug. Great job, guys. Yeah, and by the way, that info Bob was talking about is at cjob.com. Just go to the Blue Bummer page at cjob.com. Bob mentioned that Matt Nichols and Ricky Ray will be down there with Bob and Doug from 5 to 5.30. And don't forget, tomorrow morning... Right after the 8.30 news here on CJOB, Mackling and McGarry will be joined by a couple of bomber receivers, Darvin Adams and Darius Bowman.